Seven match weeks in, and we're already learning there's going to be some managers not eating panettone with their teams uh, that they were originally hired to manage uh, around Christmas. And uh, we're going to talk about that and plenty of other things here on Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio Told Like It Is. I'm Frank Ravello, uh, co-host Richard Carmen under the weather. Um, uh, got a bad case of meat or something like that, uh, but uh can't talk without yakking, and uh, I'm sorry for that horrible visual for all of you out there. But, Richard, get well, and uh, hopefully we'll have you back on the next one. But uh, good news for all of you. It's not going to be me blabbing um, throughout this entire podcast by myself. I do have a guest. He is uh, – I'm going to have to verify with him if it's his fourth cap or his fifth cap. I've lost count. Uh, he's a steady opinionist writer, over 500 pieces for Italian Football Daily, UVFC.com, uh, BTL. Uh, TFC Live. He's also a correspondent for Soccer Examiner. We welcome back Rocco Fasano. Ciao, Rocco. Is it four or five? I think it's actually, I want to say for sure five. It might even be six. So oh, I don't know. You guys may have to, you, game, you guys may have to start curtailing my, my caps. I don't know what's going on, but uh, actually, uh, if I may, if I may, um, I want to start off with a little bit of an announcement, a little, okay. a little, for you guys um well uh as you know of course i'm a big fan of of juventus and i just wanted to let all of your listeners who are canadian residents and particularly uh in the province of ontario and or in and around the greater toronto area um i am now on the board of a brand spanking new juventus uh jofc juventus official fan club uh, that we're getting kicked off called Bianconeri YYZ. So all of you hit me up on Twitter at Catenacho NA and uh, be sure to uh, to uh, let me know if you're interested uh, and we can take that offline. Thank you very much for the plug. Shameless plug. Oh, no problem. Shameless plugs are, uh, are very, very important. It uh, gives our guests a chance to uh, uh, let our listeners know, um, you know what else is out there. So uh, so good stuff, um, you know, and uh, uh, good things will uh, certainly come of it, no doubt. Um, we've got much to discuss here, Rocco. Uh, Derby d'Italia took place over the weekend. A lot of crazy things happening over the uh, uh, over the ten games on match uh, week seven. Uh, we have a managerial merry-go-round already, seven games into the season, uh, and then uh, we have the Azzurri getting ready to. Uh, take the pitch against Greece and Liechtenstein in hopes of uh, winning both of those games will secure their place officially uh, for Euro 2020. So uh, much to break down, and uh, the easiest way to do this is to start with that Derby d'Italia. Uh, Inter and Juve. Uh, Inter a perfect 6-for-6 six six coming into this game. Juve keeping an incredible pace with, uh, with the uh, early season trendsetters. Um, by having five wins and a draw going in. So it was first versus second. Um, it was Antonio Conte uh, in his first match against his former club, Juve. Um, it was Maurizio Sarri in a big game uh, that he was actually on the pitch for. Uh, if you uh, you know don't want to count the Bayer Leverkusen win uh, you know, as just another example. So uh, 
looking at how this was breaking down, and we'll take a look at the lineups, and we'll start with uh, Inters. They went with Handanovic and Goldie, and it was Conti's back three. Godin, De Vrij, Skriniar, uh, and then he went with a five-man midfield, or you know, with his wingbacks and his three center midfielders, D'Ambrosio and Asamoah were the wingbacks with that midfield of Berella, Brozovic, and Sensi, and then in attack, Romelu Lukaku and Lotaro Martinez. Um, really, Rocco, a, a system and a lineup that is uh, just getting, we're getting more and more familiar with under Antonio Conte. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, all, all of us who have followed Antonio Conte in his. Um, development since uh an evolu- evolution involvement uh, over since he joined juventus we'll remember a um an antonio conte who made the three five to his brand but let's be let's remember all those ogs out there will remember uh and then the only reason why i do remember is because i also follow body and uh uh, when Bari was uh, in Serie B and brought up into Serie A, Antonio Conte was fairly uh, stubborn uh, about his 4-2-4 formation. Um, a 4-2-4 formation, which, funny enough, was later on inherited by uh, Ventura at Bari. But not, not enough about that. When he did, when Conte came over to Juventus, he briefly tried a 4-3-3, 4-2-4, of course, and had his eureka moment when he uh, matched player for player in 3-5-2 to 3-5-2 when he faced Napoli in Naples under Mazzari. And since then, since that eureka moment, um, he's been he's been employing that system as a go-to ever since. Uh, and he's done it at uh, at in for the Italian national team. He did it for Chelsea. And now he's doing it for Inter as a base, as a base to jump off of. So he's definitely putting his imprint on, on his team, not only tactically, as we just discussed, but also uh, in terms of temperament, mentality and intensity, as, as we've seen in this first period of the, of the Serie A season. Yep, for sure. Um, and Inter coming off of that uh, loss at Barcelona at the Camp Nou, uh, in the Champions League, and I mean that that game was a tale of two halves, in my opinion. I mean they carried out Conte's game plan perfectly. They got the early goal, went up one nil, uh, and then in the second half it just unraveled on Inter. Uh, Barcelona, to Ernesto Valverde's credit, made some amazing substitutions, and I really felt that game changed uh, once Busquets was brought off for Arturo Vidal. Um, you know where they had that extra midfielder that was capable of doing some things more skillful. And clearly he got the assist on just a wonder goal by Luis Suarez. So it was a matter of, uh, I almost felt like Conte stuck to his guns in that champions league game, which was kind of strange for me. Um, he, he went there trying to get a point. If he could get three points, great. Uh, but then, uh, Valverde just kept applying the pressure would bring on Dembele. Um, you know, that would give, uh, the, Right side of Inter's defense fits there for the time that he was on. Fresh legs, just running at the defenders there. Uh, and um, I don't recall what the third substitution was for Barcelona, but it all worked, and they turned the match around and won the game 2-1. to one. I felt over those last 45 minutes, Ernesto Valverde, a man who has been much maligned in his time at Barcelona, outmanages Antonio Conte, suggesting that, okay, you know, <laughs> Everybody thinks of this, you know, Antonio Conte as this wonder manager, and he's coming here to to rescue Inter. But I mean, I think that forty-five minutes is a microcosm of why 
Conte can't get most of these teams over the line. I mean, he's, he's won titles at Juve. He won a Premier League at Chelsea. Uh, but when it comes to some of these big games, you wonder, you know, it, 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 there's enough questions uh, that you can ask of him just from those 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Odd, odd though. Like, I mean, that you do have you do have those uh, tight casts of of of, of uh, coaches all over all over the world, and I'm not gonna get into a litany of those. However, uh, that said, uh, Conte is one of these player, one of these coaches who has uh, his reputation precedes him as a, as a domestic league coach, um, yep. and not so much of a tournament coach. But that said. You know, the I think Inter went into this game, uh, and just lo- let's look at the attitude, right? They he 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 saves Lukaku against Sam, against Sampdoria, right? Last last mm-hmm. game week, and you think, okay, so he's gonna really you know, unleash him against Barcelona and then Juventus saves him against Barcelona because he figures he's going to the Camp Nou. What's the point of expending all this crazy energy and then get to, just to get beaten in the end? And then you're physically, uh, you know, tired on the weekend, right? For the big derby match at home. So, but funny enough, he goes out in front and starts to look really good. Mm-hmm. Inter, you know, really deserved to be up maybe 2 nothing at the end, by the end of the first half. Had huge chances and they kept hitting them back with the quick counterattacks with those two really fast South Americans in uh, Sanchez and uh, Lautaro Martinez. Great, mm-hmm. great uh, tactic. And unfortunately, uh, as the second half wore on, I think Inter started to show a little bit of their of their physical limits. Right? Maybe they got. Yeah. Maybe they were tired. Maybe they were done. And they started to to retreat and retreat and retreat, and then you know they basically you know had a, a little bit of autophagy going on. They ate themselves, you know, their own fear, right? Yeah. So, uh, and then of course, of course, I mean, you can't you can't take away from two fantastic goals by uh, right. by Suarez. Like the second one was a mm. a pure number nine. Uh, kind of goal, and the second and the first one was absolutely spectacular. I mean, to to know to enable to be able to get so much power behind a ball, uh, hitting it one time that far out and beating a player like uh, coach, sorry, beating a goalie like Andanovic is absolutely astounding. So yeah. uh, you know, it, it had it, it came down, I think, to to some to some individual kind of um, superiority and you know Inter ha- does have its limits in terms of um, in terms of its personnel they do have a strong starting 11 but they're still lacking they lack the depth that a, a Barcelona can bring on for example a, 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 a Vidal a Juventus can bring on uh, Higuain off the bench you know they could Inter can bring on at this point Bastoni who is a talented young Italian player but like he's what 18 19 right uh, and not world and not world class yet um you know uh, esposito had to come on instead of lukaku had had he if he had to get substituted so they they still lack that depth right so this sure. is what conte means when in the pre-games and pre-game to this was he was saying no um actually you know, the other other teams have to do 
absolute disasters. They have to completely lose the plot, you know, bottle their seasons, as the kids would say today, in order for us to to win something significant this year. Sure, sure. Uh, Hube, uh, Chesney, uh, Juan Cuadrado, who is the kind of a uh, uh, so temporary right back, uh, who looks like you know some of these performances from him looks like he's played right back for years. Um, Bonucci yep. and Delict, uh, Alexandra on the left, uh, and then uh, continuing to go with Sami Kadira, uh, Mirlan Pjanic, Blaise Matuidi, and then the uh, attack of uh, you know, depending on where you look at the formation, some people said Bernadeschi was you know on the on the right, Dybala was on up the middle, Cristiano was on the left, Cristiano was on the right. Dybala was in the middle. Bernadeschi was on the left. Bernadeschi's playing behind Dybala and Ronaldo. So yeah. everybody yeah, I all think, had. Their... I think he was. I think he's been. He, he's. Uh, he was a trequartista today. He's yeah. been sadly has yeah. been playing that since. I think the LS game. I think the LS game came before the the Brescia. So yeah, right. and it was really surprising. And sorry for interjecting. Uh, the, the the fact that Bernadeschi was selected, considering. Uh, the theory that in the midweek against Leverkusen, Bernadeschi was played instead of Ramsey because in order to keep the latter fresh for the Derby uh, Italia on the weekend. Instead, uh, Bernadeschi makes a surprise return, despite the fact that he wasn't particularly brilliant. Uh, he didn't shine against Leverkusen. And, you know, I, I'm sure we're going to get into it, but he did not shine again today he did a lot of of, of 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 obscure work a lot of working in the dark i think he was more keen on um canceling out brozovic as a as a player in front of the in front of the defense uh but but uh, that's he, he did not see much from him in terms of uh offense and the build-up you know just little quick passes but but nothing transcendental i mean i can appreciate the theory where he's in a position where he can keep Brozovic honest, where, you know, Brozovic can't, you know, come out of that, you know, protecting role, you know, and move forward because he's going to be leaving Benedeschi behind where he, they can counter. So it was an, it's, it's an interesting tactic at that. I mean, but by and large, when you have him playing in a role like that and then, you know, the possession in this game overall was relatively fair. I think you want more than 23 touches out of Federico Benedeschi in that role. Um, you know, so, you know, and uh, lost possession nine times when he got it. So, I mean, that's nine of those touches were loss of possession, nine out of 23, you know, for a Trequartista. And I've harped on, you know, who Giampaolo has tried in, in that role for Milan uh, all season, largely Suzo, who's lost the ball just beyond belief, but we'll, we'll talk about them a little bit later. Um, you know, you need, you need to demand more from that position. Some of it is the, you know, the framework with which Inter is set up. And a lot of it is, is the kind of midfielder that Brozovic can be in that role. He's, he's, he's really tough to work around. He's going to make you give the ball away in a lot of situations. Um, you know, so, you know, it's almost, it's, it's, it's almost obvious to say that Bernard Ashke in this system probably had the, the most difficult responsibility, um, you know, out of, out of the starting 11 for Juve. Um, Sammy Kadira, uh, you know, you, you, you mentioned Ramsey, you mentioned, and you got Rabio and you got all these guys, but, but, uh, you know, Maurizio Sarri has stuck with Sammy Kadira and Kadira has paid, repaid his faith. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't think he's a reborn footballer, 
but I don't think that he's the disaster that he's been when he's stuck in a two-man midfield with with Pjanic, which Allegri seemed to do quite a bit. Um, you know, so all of a sudden now he's you know in a three-man midfield. He's got Pjanic, and they've got Matt Tweedy, who's you know a little bit more deeper lying uh, than what you see him do sometimes with the French national team. Um, but you know, a little bit about Sammy Cadero here because it seems like there's a, there's a little bit of a resurgence with him. Again, I'm not going to call him a born-again footballer all of a sudden, but, <laughs> you know, definitely an improved player from, uh, you know, from Allegri to Sarri. Uh, definitely, definitely. He's one, of, he's one of the pleasant surprises of this season, and I think him and Matuidi have been pleasant surprises. Uh, Matuidi has done incredible work in terms of winning balls, um, you know, we, watching the game yesterday, I was astounded how many times he was aggressive and um, how aggressive he was and how successful he was in, um, in, in, in balls won, right? Percentage of balls won. Every, it seemed like every time he went up for a challenge, he would win a ball cleanly. Um, Kadira, of course, you know, a few slide tackles here and there, but, you know, not, uh, not, that, kind of, uh, not that kind of midfielder anymore. Uh, great uh, tactically, great tactically. Every single coach that he has come has has had him, you know, knows that Sami Kadira will do exactly what is required tactically. Will will move forward with the with the midfielder with the, the rest of the midfield line when it needs to needs to go up. Will move back, and will make the off the ball movements. That's that's his 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 craft, and it seems like Saudi's gameplay. Is ideal uh, is an ideal fit for him. His flaw at this point is in his inability to last the ninety minutes. He's he's about a sixty minute man right now, yeah. so you know, uh, which is which which has its own limitations. But at the same time, it gives the opportunity to your up and coming Medzala like uh, like Bentancur or like Ramsey who could also play that position, or like Bernardeschi who could also play that position. Not naturally. But right. can play that position. Rabio, I think, would be is is his um, would be his natural uh, first choice. All other things being equal, alas, he is not ready yet. I, I think there's there's physical and mental and adaptation issues that are going on right now, and he needs to be Matuidi's best friend and or and study Italian and be and really start to to bring up his, his level of, um, of, uh, you know, uh, being used to life in Italy and, and in Serie A, uh, he, he's, he's, he's had a lot of struggle and if he's strong mentally and character wise, I think he will be a pleasant surprise for Juventus in, in the second half of the season. Um, because from what I've seen in the preseason, I was truly impressed with, with his touch, with his off the ball movement, with his, tactical intelligence with his physical prowess but the problem was that it was it had it was short-lived uh because and and of course it's within the context of preseason friendly so um sure it's uh there's there's a lot there's a lot of it's a there's a bloated uh roster that Saudi is dealing with and if you know it's like when a teacher has a, a class of 30 plus students it's a lot harder to manage uh, to manage a classroom of 30 plus students and keeping everyone behaved and learning uh, 
instead of instead of a, cl- a smaller class size. So that's sure. uh, that's kind of uh, analogy that I can give on, on Juventus midfield right now. Oh sure, for sure, yeah, and um, you know, plenty of mouths to feed, but the ones that that, that uh, Saudi keeps feeding are keeping the keeping the others from eating. Um, and that can only be a, you know, that can only be a good thing. So, and getting onto the action, um, and it didn't take long. It was, uh, Paulo Dybala getting on the score sheet on a uh, ball played by, uh, Mirlin Pjanic. This is a goal of the week candidate right off the bat. Juve go up, uh, by a goal to nil. Um, when you're playing a team like Inter who, you know, you know, full well Conti's teams from the time that he was at Juve. It's, you know, <laughs> when we talk about this, put your head down and work hard. Um, you know, hard running, hard work, uh, organized, going to make the game difficult on you. Um, how critical, uh, how critical for Juve to get that opening goal and maybe rattle Inter out of their game plan and force them into some situations where suddenly they're not going to be as comfortable carrying out what they originally intended. Oh, it was absolutely, I think it was absolutely key, but not something that Juventus can really can really plan on um right you know dibala was was lacking a goal i think since april of 2019 i want to say um and and of course you know this is this is from uh, just from memory uh but yeah i mean abs- absolute confidence booster for him uh and and just juventus pouring on into right off right off the bat which goes to show how how motivated this side was to uh, to prove, you know, to, to, to prove every everyone uh, wrong about uh, about Inter's, um, you know, uh, undefeated status and sure. and do something about it. Um, and we saw, I think, the attitude in the opening minutes was it just that continued on uh, with uh, with the, the following chance. And, and I hope you don't mind if I usurp your uh, your <laughs> your right as a. As the as the podcast uh, host, but you know we saw uh, Ronaldo make a, a run right across the top of the 18-yard box and smack the ball right off of the crossbar. Um, you know any other? I don't know. That was my next highlight. I was my, that was my next highlight. I was going to discuss. So right, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, like, but but that like it, we just the Juventus just kept pouring on and pouring on Inter. They just wanted. To, to to maul them right so they they were that determined which is surprising because um, Inter is um, you know with Conte as a as a coach you know he, they, there was there was a lot of intensity there right and I yeah. think Juventus knew that that if they if they kind of started with a slower rhythm they would be on the wrong side of 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 the intensity scale right so they they knew they had to they had to match in Inter's defense I suppose Juventus had one less had no travel, right? They didn't have to go to Barcelona. It's like a two and a half hour plane ride from Milan and back. Um, and they had one extra day of rest. So, you know, they, there could be, there could be some, some, uh, something there to be said. So, but yeah. And I mean, and that's just the luck of the schedule. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, I mean, these these are professional uh, footballers. They know the schedule. Yeah. They know that they're going to find themselves that they're playing for these clubs. They're going to have to physically and mentally prepare themselves to play a game roughly every three days. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. so that you know, yeah, it's a quicker turnaround and traveling back. And 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 I thought about that as as we were building up to this game, thinking you know that Juve does have an advantage on it. 
I don't like to put a lot of emphasis on something like that, no. but but you can't you can't ignore it, especially with the way Inter had to work uh, over ninety minutes against a team like Barcelona. It's not like they went to Spain uh, and played, you know, without being disrespectful to the Spanish opposition. Someone like uh, Leganes or yeah, or somebody you know, or somebody like that. They they went and played the best. They went and played arguably the best team in Spain. So mm-hmm. um, you know, so it's you know, so it was a. Um, it was a huge set of demands for them, uh, and then have to do the uh, quick turnaround, come back to Milan and play Juve uh, in the Derby d'Italia. It's yeah, it's a lot, um, but uh, you know I don't want to put a lot of weight on it, but you, you also can't ignore it. Um, so yeah, to your point, Ronaldo hit the woodwork. He would get a goal, but it was ruled offside as uh, DiBala was in an offside position. But I mean, this is just a microcosm. I mean, DiBala might have been offside, but you know I don't remember Allegri playing Ronaldo and DiBala together. Saudi loves having them play together and it's working yeah uh, i think you, they, the two have played together like 23 games and uh, out of those they've won uh, sorry they've played i think 24 games and they've tr- they've won 22 draw yep. drew one and lost one and i think both of those were season games after juventus clinched last year so sure. yeah i mean they're they're uh, it, it's kind of you kind of wonder why they haven't been playing uh, more together so far, uh, but uh, the, it was a bit of a surprise for most to see DiBala start again because he started. Um, no, he didn't start against Leverkusen. It was it was uh, Iguain, if I'm not mistaken, and then uh, with uh, with DiBala coming on with ten minutes left and providing Ronaldo with the assist. This time around, you know, it's 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 kind of a relay, right? Well, you're starting one game, he'll start the next. But it seems as though Sarri, at least from what the two players are saying, are uh, it does keep his cards, uh, plays the cards close to his best, and only reveals the starting formation uh, the day of, actually hours before. So, mm, uh, it's it's it, it was an interesting it was an interesting choice and and kind of something that. A lot of people thought or foresaw coming. the the one The big change was was the Bernardeschi, which we which we discussed uh, to the lineup. But there are two players that seem to Ronaldo and and DiBala are two players that um, are great with the quick touches, and you do see a lot of that between the two of them. And you know, especially them and them two and Pjanic, um, you know, it's it's uh, it it. it it's something that's really entertaining for Juventus fans this year to see. Sure. Um, while last year, one was left with the impression that Allegri relied more so on uh, individual players with uh, making individual, you know, great plays in order in order to win him games. Sadly, does not seem to uh, to aspire to the theory that. Um, that a great men, you know, the great men in theory of, of, of history, that great men make history. Uh, and when I say men, of course, I mean men or women. Um, right. But uh, as opposed to, you know, the, the systems theory, which is, you know, the, the, the system, the conditions, the movement, the, you know, the, the herd, let's say, has more of an influence on, on, on changing the course of history. So I would say that all that from my observation as a layperson uh, that uh, um, Allegri is more of a of the of the subscriber of the former, 
and Saudi of the latter. Okay. Okay. Um, moving on. Uh, from that, I mean, Inter does score on a penalty to uh, to level the match through Lataro. It's a handball uh, on Delict. Uh, didn't seem to be really much of a question about it. Had his arm clearly out uh, on a cross that was that was coming in. So uh, no issues there. It would be one one at halftime. The other interesting thing of note uh, in his first derby, the Italia Stefano Sensi, who's just been a wonder player for Inter uh, throughout this undefeated run. Uh, pulls up injured in the 34th and has to be replaced in the 34th minute by Matias Vecino. Um, note on Sensi, I don't have any more than that he's out of the Italy qualifiers. Uh, it doesn't sound like he's out any more beyond that. I haven't seen any updates. I don't know if you've caught anything. So um, Inter's got to probably be pleased that he's not going to take part in the Italy training, that they'll have him back uh, after the international break is uh, what things are looking like by all accounts. Mm-hmm. No, I, yeah, I don't. I don't have uh, any anything on that. He did have suffer a thigh strain. Uh, that much I know, and that's usually a, a, a one to two weaker type uh, yeah. type situation. So, and considering the fact that he got injured in game, I think there, uh, you know, there's an argument there that he can that he can go back and and play his next match. I think there are some rules about inter- around, around injuries and international play. Um, I can't remember if if Serie A adheres by those rules. He can't just kind of fake an injury in order to uh, in order to kind of avoid national team duty. Um, but uh, I don't think that was, of course, the case with Stefano Sensi. I'm a little, I'm just a little butthurt uh, because I absolutely uh, adore the player, uh, and I sure. think that uh, Italy Italy would be um, Italy is at a loss uh, uh, without him. Uh, luckily, and I, I'm sure we're going to get into it. Um, at least not missing too many points before they clinch qualification for Euro 2020. But I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> sure, sure. So going to halftime, one-one. Um, you know, second. I mean, Inter would make another substitution. Godin would come out for Alessandro Bastoni, which I think was a curious, you know, substitution altogether. Uh, you know, as we talked about, a young player, um, you know, playing in his first derby, the Italia. You know. All kinds of you could have had all kinds of things, you know, that you could have done in that situation. You know, merely speculating. What about just bringing on a guy like Biragi who can provide some crosses and help continue to put some pressure on things? You might have to move Asamoah over to the right, uh, you know, in order to make that work. Um, you know, but I'm surprised that for the talent that he had and, and what he showed at Fiorentina, Biragi not getting, you know. He's, I think he's seen one, maybe two games with the Inter so far uh, since joining. Um, but in any event, um, that's what they decided to go with. And then, uh, over, you know, it was just basically substitutions. Bentoncourt comes on for Kadira. Gonzalo Iguain comes on for, you know, an ineffective Benedeschi, as you mentioned. And then Emery Chan coming on for Paulo Dybala. Uh, there would be a penalty claim for Inter. Um, Lukaku on a challenge by Bonucci. I think there was an incident in the Champions League. I think Sensi was brought down against Barcelona. And to me, that was much more of a clear penalty uh, than this incident between Bonucci and Lukaku. What do you think? Um, I'm I'm honestly at a loss. I, I want to say that I think that uh, the play that you're talking about, had a, was there a foul in like on a Juventus defender as well in the same in the same play because I can't re- maybe maybe it's uh 
it's uh, selective, selective. Um, yeah, it was Bonucci. Uh, for, forget, it was, forgetfulness on my part there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was the, it was an incident between Bonucci um, and Lukaku. Mm-hmm. That's all I can remember, and I remember that I it, it, there was some kind of a clash there, and Lukaku went down. Um, mm-hmm. And it's I think the and inter the, uh, inter players were appealing for a penalty. Um, and did the foul go the other way? I don't because I I remember there was something funny like that. And there was like an offside call or something that in the. I think that's what it ended up being. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. I think that's what it ended up being. But anyway, the the incident (laughs) where Sensi was brought down in the penalty area against Barcelona was far more of a clear penalty to me, um, Mm -hmm. you know, than than that incident. So, um, but uh, Gonzalo Higuain would come on as a substitution, and um, he has uh, scored against Inter in the past, and he would score this time a ball by. Uh, Rodrigo Bentancourt finding Iguain. He takes a couple of touches and scores a goal. Okay, I mean, Iguain scores. Juventus gets in the lead. But, I mean, I think that the, as somebody that watches a lot of, a lot of football, uh, you know, likes to break things down, and was Cuadro Asamoah waiting for an open invitation to get over and try to put some kind of challenge on Iguain because it looked like he was just completely slack, or did he think he was still playing for Juve? Um, but did you see that? I mean, it just felt like it was so casual and he, how he was trying to recover back over to the ball. And, and uh, Iguain, it felt like he had minutes to, to finish that chance, and he took at least two touches before he fired home where yeah. nobody closed him down. It was just astonishing, and it just it's, it's you know, uncharacteristic of Asamoah, uncharacteristic of Antonio, of an Antonio Conte coach team too. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I, I kind of, of course, I, I didn't concentrate on the focus on that when I was watching it. But, you know, watch, watching the play over and over, I kind of said, funny that Asamoah didn't like stick the foot in there at least, um, you know, and just in a, in a semi-desperate attempt. Um, and, and, you know, to try to try to leave and hang your goalie out to dry like that. And, and, you know, the hopes that he might make a miraculous save, um, which by the way, wouldn't have been surprising considering how, uh, great Antanovic is as a shot stopper, uh, and the, uh, the game that he had been having until that, that point. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, one, one is left with a bit of a, he, he's suspect, he's suspect on that, on that, uh, on that, def- on that goal. Um, and uh, yeah, one would one would have expected that uh, Iguain would have been a little more disturbed um, in in his attempt to to strike the ball at at, at goal. Yep, it was just it just kind of felt like it was a a free pass to uh, to Handanovic's goal, uh, but nonetheless, it would give Juve the lead and ultimately the win. I mean, I just Juve were the better team, and I think they deserved the three points. I thought Inter played well. Um, my overall just general statement I'll make about this game is that, you know, and it's an obvious thing to say because Juve won the match, but they simply just carried out what they wanted to do better than what Inter wanted to do. Yeah, I think I, I, I was really surprised by, uh, the, the dominance at, in some periods of this match, Inter was completely pinned back. Uh, I want to say maybe the beginning of the second half, but not only that, they were they could barely get out of their own half, and and Juventus was moving that that ball around almost freely and looking dangerous, um, like you know they would, looking dangerous multiple times throughout the match. Inter did come out, you know I will I will I will admit of course, and they did have 
um, good counterattacks. And in in those types of situations, especially when, uh, with the help of, of, of some of our center midfield center defenders, uh, in Bonucci lost the silly ball. Uh, Lick, uh, the Lick lost the. Uh, he looked suspect on a few plays, but is in a growth spurt still. So it, that's okay. Um, you know, Inter did come up and and looked like they could have uh, taken advantage of those few mistakes. There was a uh, Lautaro Martinez diagonal shot aiming for the for the uh, far away post that uh, uh, Chesney was able to deflect into corner. Um, and, and there were other, the Lukaku had um, some chances too, like looking good, carrying that ball up uh, in, the, in the first half and, and then laying it off. I think it, was, I think it was to Martinez again. So, you know, like they had, they, they, they you know, Inter was, they, they, they played their game their way, um, you know, and, and, and had to scratch and pull and bite as they, uh, as they, you know, as their coach instructed them to, right? And they did what they had to. Um, I wasn't too impressed, to be honest, with with the officiating. I think overall, I, I will give it a, a, a good passing grade because the big stuff that um, uh, Rocky could have gotten wrong, uh, he, I think overall he got right. Um, I was surprised with the penalty call. It looked, it really looked like Martinez. Uh, had gotten most of it with his hand, and then when I watched a replay, uh, I was convinced otherwise, I, and I completely agreed with the with the officials uh, with the officials' call. So yeah, no, but Inter um, Inter did what they could to to play this game. I find, and but Juventus really truly looked like the dominant side for most of it. Um, to be completely honest, two big matches against the two contenders, and both of them Juventus. One, uh, I would say not only, you know, of course, not only winning the games and scoring more goals than the opposition, but also uh, doing so convincingly. So I, I don't know. I don't know if there's people out there already talking about a season being over, being up only one point, which would be silly. But in terms of what I've seen over the over the course of the first seven games, which included the two matches that. Uh, would whereas where Juventus did play the arguably the tough the toughest competition, uh, it leaves me very confident as a Juventus fan uh, about the rest of this uh, Serie A season and hopefully Champions League as well. Plenty can happen between you know I mean it's only seven match weeks into the season, but to your point, they've got uh, six points over their two closest rivals for the title. You know. Um, we're going to talk about them in a little bit, but there's a certain team in Bergamo that is setting out to make this very, very interesting. And maybe their schedule hasn't been the, uh, you know, the most rigid, um, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, <laughs> the way they're talking right now, they're signaling some intent. So we'll have to see, you know, how that unfolds. But we'll talk about uh, Atalanta a little bit later here. Um, you know, ultimate takeaway for Juve right now, I mean, as you said, have beaten Napoli, have beaten Inter, still are going to have to go to the San Paolo, but the, the, the next Derby d'Italia is at the J. So, you know, so for their, um, you know, for their sake and for all intents and purposes, it's a one-point lead and it's a slender lead. I don't, <laughs> I'm not going to say a race is over this early in the season, but 
those are very, very critical points to have in this juncture. Yeah, I I agree, and and you know I, I don't have event you as uh, schedule memorized, but with um, you know after the the lot the win against uh, Inter, looking pretty good, pretty comfy, but not it's not far from being sewn up. The uh, the Champions League group, you know, and having play having gone away to Fiorentina, which is always a tough place to play for for Juve, uh, considering the fact that. The hosts there consider Juventus to be their harshest rival, and thereby that game is their derby. Uh, <laughs> Juventus still has to play, um, you know, Bologna and uh, uh, Lokomotiv Moscow and Lecce before before a derby away from home in uh, in Torino, and that's that's a higher degree of difficulty of, of a game. And then we're going to uh, to Moscow in uh, in November, which is always fun. And then, of course, I think they play this other team of Milan. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> there's there's a lot of there's a there's there's still a whole whack of season to be played. I think October, as far as their schedule is concerned, looks um, a little bit lighter. But November is going to come roaring in um, with the match home match against Milan, and then to a higher degree level. Uh, match I think with like, against uh, in Bergamo against Atalanta, uh, and I think that's another that's another one where Juve might might trip up uh, before, especially because uh, so not only because it's against Atalanta and playing away in Bergamo has historically been hard for Juventus. Uh, even Juve's record-setting teams were like that, uh, experienced that, and but also because it comes right before a Champions League match, probably the one that might decide the group stage, which is the home game against Atletico Madrid. So sure. really, you know, if by the end of November, Juventus has, let's say, a five or six point lead, having played away at Fiorentina, away uh, at Inter, home to uh, home winning against uh, Napoli, etc., um, you know, one might start to look at the season and say, yeah, this is something, this is a bit of a lead that we can start to manage. Um, you know, I think Juventus this year will do something that they haven't done in years past, which is start to use those, uh, start to use any advantage if, you know, and I shouldn't see, I shouldn't be arrogant and assume they'll have, that they'll have an advantage, but any advantage that they will have, they will, they will spend, they will use it as, you know what, this is a game where, we might start to we might call up Rugani. We might give uh, Buffon an extra cap, or uh, or Perin when he gets when he's well, or or um, you know Rabio is going to get his chance. That kind of th- situation. That's when they're going to do it right before a Champions League match because I think now more than ever I'm given I'm left with a distinct impression that uh, it's it's more eggs in the Champions League basket than than Serie A. And as it pertains to Inter, um, you know, six and zero. But when you look at this slate, I mean, you can't really, you know, coming into this coming into this particular week, they won at Cagliari. Uh, when you take a look at, you know, how Cagliari all of a sudden have gotten it together now, and 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 winning at mm-hmm. Sardinia, uh, you know, I don't care who you are, that's a tough fixture to go and mm-hmm. win. They went and did it. They beat Lazio. Um, they won the uh, Derby della Madonnina against, albeit a, a Milan team that's just not sure who they are right now um you know so 
they it's not like they had a really squishy schedule on the way to winning six straight games here in Serie A, but they had a big week against elite teams and they lost both games. I don't think that that means that Inter are doomed to failure under Antonio Conte. I just simply think it means, okay, they're good. They've made some progress in a short time, but they're, these two defeats show that they still have a little ways to go. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, come on, guys. Let's give let's cut this guy or these this team a break, you know. And this is a Juventino talking, okay? I mean, are you kidding me? They first you have to uh, you have to be able to absorb the shock of of a coaching change. And yes, it's not um, it's not as as harsh a coaching change as, for example, you know, Juventus or Milan had, right? Where you go from a pragmatist. Uh, to to uh, a theorist, right? To to a gameplay coach like Sarri or like uh, Giampaolo, these kinds of things. You don't get, or uh, even Sampdoria, right? Sampdoria had had the same or similar type uh, of experience. You know, where, where they went from one ideas guy to another ideas guy. You know, those changes there are harsh, are a lot harder. But you know, Antonio Conte is much more a more simple soccer, more focused on 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 intensity and and simpler simpler things and then he'll he'll just make lemonade out of lemons you know uh someone like sarri or guardiola or these gameplay coaches you know you give them you give them a lemon orchard they won't make lemonade like conte does they'll take the lemon orchard and burn it down and you know plant a vineyard you gotta wait three years but in three years time you're drinking some you know fine vintage wine right <laughs> the the difference that that's the difference between the two the these two and enter i think we have we have to tip our hat for uh for having for for being uh for doing so well so far and yeah you know they were kind of they were handed uh a win pretty much when uh de paul slapped Kandreva in the back of the head, got a red card, and then, you know, Inter found a goal and brought home the three points. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, they did score a goal uh, courtesy of a penalty shot uh, by with Lukaku in uh, Sardinia Arena against Cali, but they did beat one of, one of the, the highest-performing teams this year, uh, guys playing out of their minds in terms of um, it, really tough teams to score against, like Cagliari. You know, these, this is the team that that squeezed out points uh, in Rome, that squeezed out all three points in Naples. And the funny thing is, they're known to be uh, to be best at home. So, you know, you're, you know, they enter came away from, from that place with three points. That's not, I, I'm willing to bet that Juventus won't be able to, to do the same. Uh, so it's going to be really hard. Uh, to, to perform well there, and they and they were able to take home all the points. Great on them! Uh, I think we're going to see Inter overperform, considering their roster, uh, which is a good roster, but you know it's it's far from the from the best or second best, I would argue, in Italy. But Conte is known to squeeze players to to get the sure. most out of them, um, and so I expect domestically for them to to do extremely well um you know they might end up in second or third was my was my prediction at at the beginning i said third because they had to make up 20 points or i think it was in the double digits okay uh, vis-a-vis last year against napoli and those and those are not easy that's not an easy feat to do especially since napoli didn't 
undergo a huge revolution. Uh, so uh, Inter will, um, it's going to be, it's, I think they'll do really well uh, domestically and they're going to they're gonna be in the fight uh, for, for the long haul, uh, especially since Juventus is planning to be distracted by Champions League. This, is, this league is far, far from being over right now. Sure, for sure. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens. But Juventus is set in a very impressive tone, taking wins off of their two title rivals. This was uh, a two-one win in the Derby d'Italia. Your thoughts on the game? Go to at Syria, sit down on Twitter or Instagram. And now we'll jump into the rest of the slate. Okay. Um, Nine other games took place. It wasn't just all about Juve Inter. Uh, <laughs> and uh, a lot of interesting incidents happening in just about every one. Uh, everything took started off on uh, Saturday with uh, Spall, a 1-0 winner over Roma and an Andrea Petagna goal, uh, assisted by uh, Strafezza. Uh, first time I'm hearing anything about this guy. Uh, oh, oh, no, but, good player, man. Good player. Yeah. I, well, I was really I, impressed. He's a little, he's kind of diminutive, but um, yeah. but he's quick, um, and I, I really like the way he's built too. Like he's he's uh, he's a little uh, grinder. I, I I don't know what his development stage is at, is at or if he's looks like in, he's in his mid twenties, but um, you know he's he'll be he'll he won't be a world beater for sure. But uh, but I, I think he's someone who we might see as a as a, a fixture in uh, in Serie A, just like, for example, a player who played force ball last year, like uh, Anton Antonucci, for example, or uh, um, oh, I can't remember the guy's name on on uh, Sassuolo, uh, who's now playing for Spal as well. Uh, but anyway, they, lo- lots of players like that. Yeah. Well, I, I you let me finish. Said you know, from the first time watching him, I was pretty impressed with what I saw. Uh, he did. Yeah. He did. We won't uh, we won't see him in the next game though. He did get a double yellow and got sent off, but uh, nonetheless, Spall uh, a one nil winner over Parma. Uh, Hellas Verona two nil win over Sampdoria, which proves to be the final nail in the coffin uh, as it pertains to Eusebio Di Francesco's reign uh, as manager of the Blue Carati. It was uh, Kumbula in the ninth minute, a goal of the week candidate, and then a Muru own goal in the eighty first. Very nice finish by Muru. Just a pity it was on his own goal. Um, and then Saturday night, Genoa hosting Milan. Uh, it was the game. You could either call this the game that each team was trying to lose, or uh, the two game, the game that these two teams were just so damn desperate to win. Um, Genoa opened the scoring through Lasse Schöne on a free kick that ended up being a Pepe Reina howler. Um, but second half, it looks like I think there was a bench read there by Genoa before halftime with Ricardo Saponara, Teo Hernandez equalizing in the 51st minute, a goal of the week candidate. Uh, then uh, Frank Kessie converting a penalty in the 57th minute, but that's uh, where it just gets interesting. Uh, Davide Calabria pulling uh, Kuame to get his second yellow and be sent off uh, for the second time in as many games for Davide Calabria. Uh, Biraski getting a red for uh, Genoa, and then Samu Castillejo getting a red from the bench. So uh, it finished 10v10. A late penalty by Lasse Schöne was saved by Pepe Reina from Milan to secure the three points. We're going to talk about this one here after I wrap everything up. Uh, Fiorentina opened up Sunday's action with a 1-0 win over Udinese. It was a Milankovic goal of the week candidate goal, which is a goal of the week candidate corner uh, by Polgar uh, and well done by the Serb to finish. Um, 
Atalanta three, Lecce one, Duvan Zapata, goal of the week candidate, Papu Gomez, goal of the week candidate. Seems like Atalanta finds a way into our top five every week. Uh, Robin Gosen scoring in the 56th before a Lucioni goal in the 86th provides Lecce with some consolation. Um, Derby d'Italia was absolutely entertaining. I probably would argue runner-up for game of the week was Bologna-Lazio at 2-2. Krejci in the 21st minute. uh, And then Immobile uh, equalizing just two minutes later. And then it was Palacio in the 31st. uh, And then Chiro Immobile with a goal of the week candidate. A lovely little combination there uh, between the Lazio players as it finished with Luis Alberto playing Immobile in. to uh, equalize at 2-2. Lucas, a second yellow, turned into a red. Uh, he got sent off. And then Gary Medell with a professional foul, last man red for Bologna to get sent off. Uh, Joaquin Correa did have a penalty miss uh, in this match that would have given Lazio all three points. So they share the spoils there. Um, Roma won, Cagliari won. Uh, it was a Joao Pedro penalty in the 26th minute to open the score for the Sardinians. And then five minutes later, a Cepatelli own goal uh, for Roma to get back into it and uh, square the match at one all. And then Torino nil, Napoli nil um, in, uh, in the match in Turin. So Genoa and Milan obviously had... I mean, you can talk about Bologna Lazio, but Genoa and Milan probably had some of the most interesting incidents, Rocco. Um, I mean, coming into this, two managers that were fighting for their jobs uh, and coming out of this, both these managers seem like they're going to lose their jobs. I mean, uh, Milan, according to the papers, are looking to actively replace Marco Giampaolo at this point. From the sounds of it, Andrea Andreazzoli might be out of the job, although that's not been totally confirmed. I saw a couple of publication saying that Milan, Sampdoria, and Genoa are all looking for managers, and these are all clubs who just hired these managers, just went through a preseason, and seven games later, they're all out. This is historic. I've never seen anything like this before. Well, Italian, the Italian league has been renowned for years to have uh, a high number of uh, coach firings. Um, yeah, but, despite but the fact Palermo, that, Palermo's not in the, Palermo's not right. in Serie A anymore. And they're not going to be in Serie A for just, at least three or four years. I was going to say, I was going to say, but the but the, the confounding variable is that uh, Zamparini was the the president in one of those teams in one of those sure. clubs. Uh, and despite it, now the, the fact that he's not there uh, really makes this a truly anomalous. Uh, uh, situation and, and season. Uh, that said, um, I, you know, I don't know if you heard this, but the late breaking news uh, that came out Sunday evening and in the midst of all of the uh, the firings, uh, the, the markets started to react in the East uh, and all the Panettone companies, they lost all, a lot of stock because all these coaches are not going to be eating Panettone this year. at least not at the clubs that they're at definitely not do we have confirmation that Andre Zoli is out because I saw a couple of people say that Genoa is looking to replace but I don't see anything at least coming from Genoa saying that he's out uh, I haven't seen anything I haven't seen anything official uh, but I think it's one of those situations where they might they might be either making going to make the change uh, mid uh, week uh, or they might just give him uh, the, the, with with the with the international break. They have a little bit of 
of time to decide and and to figure uh, contractually what to do with uh, with Andrea Zoli. Um, and I think that's kind of what's what's going on at Milan. And um, in the meantime, we we've seen we, my my little prediction of. Uh, you know, Di Francesco won't be eating panettone this year. Uh, come, come to life. And if I may give a little bit of a uh, uh, a little backgrounder on on that, it's it's you know not yeah. eating panettone is not a is not uh, an original uh, kind of thing by me. It's actually a fairly common um, Italian. It's fairly common in in the Italian footballing vernacular uh to say that a coach will not be eating panettone meaning they won't make it uh to to the christmas break in fact it's not even it's not only uh it's not even unique to italy in uh in spanish they say no va comer el roscon meaning he's not gonna go he's not gonna eat roscon roscon is a uh, is a is a, a sweet a treat that's very popular in spain so it's it's kind of a uh, it, it's not. It's not only unique to to Italy as a as a saying, but uh, that said, um, uh, yeah, the Francesco is out. Andrea Zoli is looking at the door, and uh, and Giampaolo uh, as well. There's a lot of talk. His 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 bench is getting really really hot, uh, and uh, I think he I think he he may just be relieved mid uh, in the midst of this, despite the fact that he won that he won this match. Sure. Um, okay. And I'm going to go into, and I, I put this out on Twitter, um, but uh, I will uh, share it with everybody here. Um, let me pull it up. I, you know, I, I don't do the blogging thing anymore because I don't have time to sit down and, and write something and wait for it. So I just put out threads now uh, on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So if, um, if people follow me at FTC underscore 21, and sometimes we'll just throw out random threads. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about some players that, you know, you should be keeping an eye on or people that I'm, that I'm, that I'm watching that you might want to consider watching kind of thing. So I always come up with something. But here are my four reasons why Milan sacking Giampaolo. Because first of all, you know, sacking a manager seven games into a season after a preseason, after getting everybody acclimated, is just absolute madness and just suggests that the club has no direction has no you know objectives or any of this other stuff, um, or just think that you know uh, an owner is just absolutely crazy or any of these other possible reasons. But here I came up with four re- four reasons why Milan sacking Giampaolo seven games into a season is an exception to the idea um, rather than just being flat out crazy. First of all, Giampaolo and you and I talked about this in the past. He's he he was a stubborn man when it came to his four three one two. He never liked to deviate from it. Although after one game against Udinese, he decides to change it um, and, and go to a 4-3-3 that he's not even comfortable with. Um, you, it just suggested to me that it was full-on panic, that he doesn't trust the players to carry out his ideas, his project, and the way he wants to do things, so that he's now all of a sudden regressing to, you know, or catering to what the players want instead of, you know, putting an imprint out of his system and demanding and maximizing what the players should be doing in that system. You know, so that's problem one. Problem two, just six goals in seven games. Three of those six goals are penalties. They're tied for second worst in the league for goals scored uh, through seven games. Um, They share that uh, dubious distinction. Hang on here. I'm pulling it up right now. Um, With uh, Hellas Verona, who have only scored six goals. And um, let's see here. I'm looking at this right. See, 
Yep, Hella Espinona. Um, and uh, Spall. And actually, I'm sorry, tied for third worst. Hella Espinona and Spall on six. Sampdoria have four, and then Udinese have three. Uh, so that's that's the company that they're in right now. That's not the company that Milan should be in when it comes to scoring goal, scoring goals. Um, and not only are they not scoring goals, but when you watch them play, they don't look dangerous at all. I mean, they look slow. They predict. They look predictable. Everything takes too long. You give defenders a chance to set up. You get, you know, give them a chance to double mark Piantic and follow him wherever he goes so that he's out of it. Um, you know, so rarely do they ever look dangerous going forward. Reason three, Suzo and Chalanolu. The very definition of insanity is repeating things over and over, expecting better results. Suzo's slow, predictable, and I'm sorry. He's been found out in this league. You know, he's got he's got one trick. He likes to cut inside and he likes to try to he likes to try to shoot. Um, teams have started to figure that out. He go he will go over to his right and cross the ball. It's not the most accurate thing you're ever gonna see. Uh Chalanolu is being played out of position. And he's terrible at where he's played. Um, but Giampaolo keeps doing the same thing, keeps forcing these guys into the lineup, hoping for a different result. You know, you've had seven games starting these guys, and they've been terrible. Um, and, and much of me on Twitter are, are, compl- are, are venting their frustration at the same two players, these two guys. And then finally, discipline. Um, I mean, how many red cards? They've got five red cards, maybe six. Um, but two from the bench. In, in the space of four games, you maybe see one bench red card from your team in a space of five years. They got two yeah. in four games, two in four mm. fucking games. OK, and one's an outlier. And it's like, OK, fine, whatever. Somebody just lost their cool. It's a random thing. The manager reminds me. But two in four games shows me this is what it shows me. It shows me it's a manager that has absolutely no control over this team. And the longer he's manager, the worse the situation is going to get. So this is the right time to make this move and to cut bait and to say, hey, we tried. It didn't work. Here's a severance. Off you go. We're going to bring in somebody else. <clears throat> and and one of the things that I find is troublesome that didn't happen with Giampaolo um, is that typically when you have a coach who's, uh, who's a gameplay coach, you will have yes. somebody, you will bring two or three kind of players that he's had on another team they may or may not be the best players in the world. They're not necessarily an upgrade, but they're his little go-tos who will help, uh, will be enablers. They're enablers of his gameplay, right? So at the start, they'll be they'll be employed a lot, and and then eventually, you know, once the rest of the team learns the gameplay, they'll, they'll be let go. But you didn't see any of that. You didn't see anybody brought over from Sampdoria, who played for Giampaolo either last year or the year or any of the years prior. Right. And I think there could have been there could have been some chances there, some opportunities to do that. Um, and considering the fact that Milan is a bigger club than Sampdoria, so there could have been Dennis, some pull. Dennis Pryat wasn't Dennis Pryat wasn't that expensive, and mm-hmm. in a four three one two would be a much better fit on the left side of that midfield than Hakan Chalanolu. For what mm-hmm. for what Giampaolo likes to do, just as an example. Exactly, exactly. So one would have expected to see some kind of action like that. So I don't know what happened within within the internal discussions, right? Because maybe Giampaolo would have made some kind of a some kind of demand of the sort, and he might have gotten overruled. But I think 
And I think this starts to introduce a bit of a of a bigger issue that may be going on at Milan is is on the management side. You know, you have Gazidis who doesn't speak a lick of Italian, and you have uh, 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 I can't remember one of the other one of the other um, uh, directors who is interested only in building the stadium. You have Boban and and uh, uh, Maldini who are involved, but you know they're they're still at their first year, and even though they're great soccer minds, they're still they're still kind of learning the ropes. And and you have this, right. you know, and it's two of them. It's not just one of them who kind of says, "Okay, I'm the head of the operations here. Let's get it going." So you have a lot of players, a lot of players in this in this play in this in this act, and we don't know who is who and who really kind of has the bigger voice and sets the tone and then everybody else kind of follows and knows their place. It's, it, it, and it, I think it just feeds the, uh, the confusion. It feeds into the confusion, into the lack of direction, into the disorientation. Right. Um, right. and I think introducing a brand new coach, uh, only added to that instead of, uh, of put up bringing in order. So we have a situation at Milan where, as opposed to starting in chaos and then moving to, 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 to storming and then forming and performing, you're, you're, you're just going from forming back into storming and now one more step into chaos, going backwards instead of progressing. I mean, Spalletti is the hot topic right now. Um, but now the latest story is that it might not happen because he's asking for too much of uh, from Inter as far as what he should get for a severance. You know, going to coach Milan while still getting something from Inter. Um, you know, so that's you know some of the latest stuff that's been whispered out. I mean, a lot of the buzz has been Spalletti. The backup plan is Stefano Pioli. I've argued that Pioli would be fine too. I mean. I mean, Milan fans have to be realistic, and a lot of Milan Twitter went, you know, Milan fans took to Twitter and saying, oh, should get Mourinho or Wenger and, or Allegri. They're not coming. They, you think they want, think any of them want any part of this train wreck? Um, you're going to have to get a manager that's going to want to rehabilitate himself and prove himself, and I don't have a problem with Pioli because everywhere he stopped, you know, he's provided some burst of form with that team. And Lazio, it was season long. He got him to third place and got him to Champions League qualifying. Inter, they got on a little run uh, with them. Bologna before. Bologna, yeah, Bologna before before any of those. He, I, he, he, had, he has the same. He's got a – he doesn't have the longest shelf life. And that's why he's that's kind just, of exactly. been typecast as this janitor, right? Like as someone who's going to be – who's going to take you to the end of the season and who's going to be um, – you're in mm-hmm. shining armor for one for one season. However, you're not going to be able if you're expecting him to be to be your life lifelong partner or your <laughs> or your Wenger or your Sir Alex Ferguson type situation. Yeah, don't 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 put any hope into that because you know that it's going to be you know two three years from again like the second year maybe you're just going to have another situation where you made someone who is your temporary coach, your interim coach, your long term. And then, you know, the wheels fall off and you just say, oh, man, who did we, who are we stuck with? And you're looking over at, at your partner and you're going, oh, man, why did I ever do that? <laughs> well, precisely. Um, I mean, you, got, you, get a, you get a year out of them tops. 
and then right. the wheels like, fall uh, off. Right, I mean, same thing's kind of happening with happened with uh, with Soulshire, and same thing sure. kind of happened with uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you guys, you tell me uh, as a Milanista, is that is this, did the same thing happen with Gattuso? Right? I don't know. Like, was he was he kind of brought on as someone who might have been around for a little while, and then and then became became your permanent kind of selection, right? So it, it, it purely, I think, though, all things considered and all uh, probabilities considered, he's probably, he would be someone uh, who, if I was a Milan fan, I would prefer over, even over Spalletti, even though Spalletti ha- has a little better of, of, a, of a pedigree. I mean, I think he's a uh, petulant with uh, with uh, with the the media um for some reason always finds a way to get the media against him uh, even when he's doing well um and uh and i i think he's one of these coaches that is starting to become past his uh, expiry date as far as um you know quote relevance as people say you know i sure. i think he he's he's no longer novice he, he's no longer sorry nuanced he does he's no longer that didn't have that effort effervescence that he had when he when he coached roma in the late knots and you know and, and maybe in the early part of this decade um you know so i, I think he's a little past his, his his expiry date um pioli is still relevant he's still he's one of these coaches that can, you can hire mid-season and he will be able to get you out of the mud um, kind of like Reya was years ago. I don't know if you recall him as a coach of Atalanta and Lazio, you know, as one of these guys who would grind out home wins uh, with, you know, one nothing home wins and, 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 mm-hmm. and would dr- grind out away draws and stuff like that, you know. So you need, definitely need a pragmatist, definitely need a pragmatist at this, at this juncture if, if Milan is ready to make that change. Well, I mean, I know this about a Spalletti system. You, if, if it is Spalletti, you'll suddenly start seeing Piontek score goals because look what he's done, you know, these last few years at Roma and at Inter. The, the center forward scores goals in those in that system. Dzeko, um, I think, won a Capo Cananieri. Icardi shared one with Immobile. So, um, mm-hmm. so, so <laughs> that problem gets potentially solved. It's just a matter of how he goes about it and who he starts and who he plays. So well, what about... The- the trequ- he, he plays with a trequartista, at least at my me- for, uh, to my memory, he, he used to. Um, you know, you, you, if you're lacking a, tre- a good trequartista right now, that issue still persists, right? That's, that, would be, that would be a problem, right? Pocketa, um, or Jack, Jack Bonaventura just has to get his legs under him. That's the issue there. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, he's I mean, good between the lines, eh? He's he's yeah. He's always been good between the lines. Great yeah. player. You know, I mean, he's not gonna he's not gonna be. You know what you see with some of these out and out trequartistas, like you know what Gaston Ramirez was for you know uh-huh. Santoria here for a little bit under under Giampaolo. Um, mm-hmm. You know when he was on form. You know it wasn't consistent with him. You know, but mm-hmm. you know if you look at Spalletti's Inter and you look at a Borja Valero or you look at a you know. I hate to say Joao Mario because Joao Mario was below average actually at Inter, but for the moments that he was, you know, he, he so let's just say Borja Valero then, um, you know, Jack could be the Borja Valero of Spalletti's system. You know, he's not going to be this, 
you know, Trek Quartista that's just going to absolutely, you know, boss an entire game, but he's going to pop up in key moments and create some key chances here and there. So, um, or you know, so or you're, uh, or you're Jack Carini of the situation, you know? <laughs> sure. Sure. You know, I mean, really it's a uh, kind of player, like how the hell, like, how does that guy excel at all? Right. But he had this knack for, beca- for being that, uh, between the lines guy and right. he coaches have their darlings right so if if you do have you do have, find that that right kind of combo it, it, you know it has to happen it, absolutely sure. sure let's look at some of these other uh results you know atalanta you mm-hmm. know if you some atalanta people on twitter and saying scudetto let's do it why not <laughs> we're you know we haven't played juve yet we're three points behind them you know yeah. why can't we? And, uh, and there's going to be a direct. There's going to be a direct uh, encounter between those two teams in uh, in November and at uh, at the uh, Javis Stadium or Javis Stadium as it as the Azzurri Italia is now called. Uh, great team, fantastic. I I say it every chance I have. Um, I, they're actually one of the teams I bit of a bit of a darling in in Serie. A. Um, like them, love them to death. As far as uh, you know, very simpatica, as we say in Italian, kind of a team, very likable. Um, uh, they're kind of, Frank, they're all kind of built the same, these guys, right? Like, do, you look at an Atalanta player, uh, you know, and they're, they're all these, like, SMR, so, like, tall, broad-shouldered, physical, um, you know, may not have, like, the most refined feet. And then, and then there's all of those guys. Basically, all look the same. I can't tell them apart unless I see their number, or their name. I'm like, is that Darun? Is or or is that um, uh, Castagne? Or is that uh, Palomini or Toloi? Or uh, you know, who, who's who here? You know, you know Ilicic has a little more distinguished kind of uh, you know body kind of language to him. But they're all built this, more or less the same. And then of course yeah. there's Gomez, right? The, complete opposite right little dominion smaller than all of them yeah and really good and really good feet right like complete the complete opposite of, of all that but all that said you know it, it, amazing amazing the team the t is the team said sit down captain by the way uh in oh, fantasy said yeah oh, we're really? catching up on we're, we're catching up on you so oh, I, uh, oh it's funny because last time we talked i remember you were like way ahead and no, no, now like I you're... started for two weeks. I have no idea what was going on. <laughs> and I had Piantic like the first four or five games, and I gave up, and I just reshuffled everything and put him Obli in the team. So, and Gomez is gone. He scored. He scored. He was on a brace, I think, on the weekend, and you know maybe it was a, yep. there was an assist in there too. And yeah, an I've, uh, I've kind of yeah, I've, I've been. Um, uh, I had him on my team for a while, and then. I saw him getting like rotated in and out of the squad, so I said, "Man, forget it." Um, yeah. You know, too bad about the Champions League um, games so far, and I think I, I would chalk up to nerves the first defeat um, in, their, in their first in Atlanta's first outing in Zagreb against Dinamo, um, for nothing, getting absolutely spanked. Um, and but but the what a heartbreaker in uh, Milan in the San Siro. Against Shakhtar, I thought, the they, uh, I, I thought they deserved to win. Uh, all the chances that they created, I thought they were the better team in the game, and Shakhtar just eked out the one in the end. So it is, it is a yeah. shame. So let me ask you this: 
do they do you just say okay hey we we know we can play in europe but there's this scudetto thing now that could probably get a little bit more interesting do we just scrap this uh champions league thing now um you know seeing that they're zero points from two games manchester city's going to clearly win that group um there's still a trip to the ukraine that they're going to have to do on match day six mm-hmm. you know i mean it's and- uh it's going to be yeah, a unique I, question that they're going to have to answer over the next few weeks. Well, you, if you roll back to the last time I was on your show, I said that Atalanta would be um, would have a good chance at making the Europa League spot by finishing third. Um, and and you know a lot, the 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 consensus of what I heard was that Atalanta had a good chance of of making it through to the next round. And of course, you know, not not knowing what you know what what in, Atalanta's impact would be with the Champions League, I, I still hold that Atalanta uh, does have um, a maybe fifty fifty chance of making the Europa League spot. They would have to definitely uh, uh, beat Zag- uh, Zagreb and beat um, uh, you know even Shakhtar. Those two right there would would probably be enough for them. To, to get the, the points and then who knows right I mean playing playing uh, Manchester uh, United uh, sorry Manchester City uh, maybe in, in that second last uh, game of the of this of the um, of the match um, of game weeks there in, in Champions League might give them uh, a little bit of you know they might have a little bit of a chance maybe to to to, to squeeze out a point, but you know these two these two defeats are especially with where they happened and for how for how big of a loss it was, it really puts Atalanta in a tough spot. I could see them if they do uh, if they were to make the Europa League, I could see them go far because they do have that truculence about them, uh, and um, you know uh, ex- inexperience aside, I think they would have a really like I could see them I could see them beat. Eight, te- eight teams out of ten uh, in most in most matches. Um, unfortunately, they're they were naive to to lose in in Milan, especially the way they did, especially with the kind of soccer they put on display. Um, it was it was really it was truly heartbreaking to to watch as a Serie A fan. Yep, it's a shame. And, and uh, sorry, not to answer you. I never answered your question. Scudetto. Should 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 they go for it? They should go out and try to win every game they can. And with this brand new stadium that they opened up, um, and and it was a just a sight to see, chock full. Every seat was taken. Of course, it was the it was the home. It was the opener. Um, you know, hopefully that keeps up. Uh, and and you know, with what the, that new stadium will offer in terms of services, in terms of um, you know, a, a intimate setting. I really hope that that will go a long way to help a team that's already super strong and super powerful continue uh, to go forward. I, I could see them conquer that Champions League spot again, if they, especially if they consider if they continue on this thread uh, and and on the string of win and wins and, and this kind of success. Um, but I, I believe that Scudetto is a is a matter is is very much a matter between two or three teams. Uh, and um, and in the long run, I think Atalanta will will not be in this conversation. At least not in not as of you know when it really matters in 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 May and April and May. 
I mean, it's hard to fathom it, but it's definitely going to be a very interesting proposition here, at least in the short totally term. Possible. Totally possible, sure. but improbable. Sure. Um, last couple that I want to get to, and then we'll uh, move on to the Azzurri. Um, uh, Fiorentina. Um, you know, classy uh, win at Milan. Uh, you know, and then the win over Sampdoria obviously went toe-to-toe with Atalanta as well. So, you know, really have got things turned around uh, under Vincenzo Montella. But I think uh, what's critical for them here, uh, you know, you've got to win games 1-0 and you've got to find ways to win games. And clearly they, the possession was shared in this game, but they had double the chances. They had more shots on target against Udinese. Um, you know, so... A team like this could have a lot of frustration with how the game's going and maybe some Fiorentinas of the past, you know, of the recent past, play like this, don't get the points, and then that's where it just kind of comes to hurt them. So to get that Milankovic goal and to gut out a 1-0 win, I mean, I think it was important for them to win like this. I mean, they probably don't want to win like this every week. They'd like to win in style like they did in Milan, like they did against Samp, um, you know, but to be able to find a way to to get a goal here and it was a really nice goal by Milenkovic off the corner from Pulgar um, you know Fiorentina's won three straight and they've won it they've won them in different ways here now under Montella and it feels like this is a team that is just going to continue to grow and continue to get better and somebody that we fancied in the top six is going to see their season get ruined by these guys potentially <laughs> potentially potentially so, so who is the somebody? Right now, Milan. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. until they come you know, I, to be honest, to be honest, at the outset, I did not see Fiorentina as being a team that would that would that would crack uh, the Europa League uh, spots. They might be in the in the fight for it, um, but I remember last year they just sank like a stone. And they, in fact, there were they were in danger in the last two, and especially in the last and and in the last very last game week, uh, where by some kind of odd combination they could have they could have ended up in and uh, being relegated. So it is surprising to see how how much they picked up from that. Um, not surprising that they did have an odd start. A little bit of a starter start, be, and and that's probably brought on by the fact that they had a new coach. They're getting used to that, and they had a lot of new players. Fiorentina was a big actor in this in this Serie A season, um, and just like Cagliari was, for example, by picking up um, Nangolan and, and and some other interesting uh, players. Return the return of Luca Pellegrini. Um, the Fiorentina, on the other hand. You know Frank uh, Ribery, Boateng, uh, Polirola. You know, adding a lot of depth and really making the team, squaring the team up, so to speak. Uh, and uh, uh, Montella being the great uh, counter tactician, I always call him, uh, great counter tactician. Uh, he he's he, he's really good at tailoring uh, teams against his opposition, which is why Fiorentina. Um, and, and his teams, by and large, have done well uh, against, say, bigger or better uh, opposition. Comes back, however, to bite him when his team is the is is the bigger and better uh, and more talented team. So 
doesn't really I, I don't get from Fiorentina a kind of a a, a defined gameplay, right? Uh, seems like he's more relies on on the strength of of the of these individuals. And in this in this year in uh, Chiesa and um, Ribery and um, uh, even at the back uh, Milenkovic and and, uh, and and all all the and uh, oh oh gosh what's the what's the midfielder that's been coming up. Uh, who's been playing out of his mind? Castrovilli. Um, Castrovilli. Yeah, yeah, Castrovilli. Um, absolutely fantastic midfielder. Great, great um, for uh, for the future of the, of the national league. Like great, amazing, amazing uh, players that he has under him. And you're starting to see the results. Same thing in Cali. You're starting to see these results so early, which is. Which is good news for for the fans of uh, Fiorentina and Cagliari. So, um, are they are they a top uh, six team? I don't know. I think it's I think it's too early too early to tell. Um, um, I, I I I have my reservations about about that. Uh, even though they do have they they do have good uh, they you know they have the right ingredients. I'm, I just want to see how this cake's going to bake. Sure. Sure, no problem. Um, and then finally, uh, Torino Napoli. That game ended ended nil nil. But I mean, it was not without their chances. Both goalkeepers obviously stepped up and uh, played really well in this game. Sirigu and Merit. Um, you know, but then uh, the, the interesting one for me was the performance from uh, you know all the attacking power that uh, Napoli can boast and. You know, it's not like they had a difficult Champions League game in midweek. They traveled at Genk. They didn't get a result there, obviously. But you, you, you have Lorenzo Insigne, you have Dries Mertens, and you have Irving Lozano. I'm willing to make the argument that uh, the best attacking player in this game was uh, a a former Napoli player. I mean, currently owned by Napoli, but is eventually going to get sold to Torino, and that's Simone Verdi. Mm-hmm. What a what a uh, talk about stunted growth. I mean, he was. Super at, at Bologna. Would, he's the only guy who would score free kicks with either of his feet. Ambidextrous, um, yep. and just your 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 typical in Italian they call them ariete. You know your your typical uh, Aries. Really, that's what an Aries is. It's like it's like a like a goat, right? Like kind of big and strong, and um, yep. as your number nine, and and kind of um, your you know, Lukaku and Vieri and maybe Luca Toni archetypes, you know, um, he's, he's not exactly built like that, but he plays like that, you know, he's, he's able to, to kind of rip through defenses that way. And, uh, uh, looking, looking to have to see great things from him. I haven't seen him get too much time at Torino. Um, uh, I don't know if he's had health, uh, you know, issues being, being healthy and staying healthy, or if it's competition from Zaza and Belotti that's keeping him uh, kind of uh, sidelined. But uh, I'm looking forward to, to great things uh, by him. Uh, Napoli probably with a line share of um, of the chances. I, I and as far as Torino is concerned, I remember a huge chance that they had at the end of the of the first half. Right. In the end, in the end, Torino it turns out to be. A tough place for Napoli this year. With they come, they come away with only one point and two encounters in the in the, in, in in the northern city of Torino. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you also have um, 
you also have to account for Iago, Iago Falke, who actually came on for Verdi in about the 89th minute. So that's another playmaker that you can throw in there, Berenger. So Torino have some pieces. And when they defend as well as they did in this game, I mean, this was when you they had Itzo and Kolu and Lianco together, uh, you know, in front of Sirigu for the first time here in a few games. So, uh, you know, that's the effect that they can bring and they can they can make life a little miserable. But it looks like they, you know, this is an important point for Torino. Just to get the clean sheet, I think, was even even most critical in their case, especially against a team like Napoli, because up until then, this is a Torino that had given up 10 goals in the first six games. Not something that you would expect to see from this Torino side on a Mazzotti that it's been defending so well and Sirigu making great saves. So, uh, you know, important from them. You know, Napoli now, this is a 180 minutes goalless when you include the Champions League. Um you're looking at all of these attackers now. Um, is it critical now that with the that that Ancelotti uses this break to figure out? Okay, I've got an embarrassment of riches going forward. I've got Insigne, Milik, uh, Mertens, uh, Lozano, Callejon. Um, he's going to have to pick a, a two-man attack or a three-man attack, and uh, you know, and and stick with it for as long as he can. Uh, I think the rotation is starting to create a little bit of inconsistency and maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but I don't, I I'm not used to a Napoli that goes 180 minutes without scoring. Well, it, it looks like the Saudi effect is finally uh, running out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one, one might, one might say, but you know, Napoli plays such still plays free flowing, beautiful football. Sure. Um, and, 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 you know, I mean, we, we saw what they did against Liverpool, winning convincingly. And, and they, they seem to be a, a team that, uh, you know, when it's the great moment and the great evening, they, they like to rise to the occasion. Uh, that said, I think their, their uh, scoring drought will end the very, at the very next opportunity, which will be uh, against uh, when they host Las Verona in Naples. Um, yeah, that'll, 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 that'll solve some problems for them, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, th- I think I think we'll have a bunch of players that will be uh, that will be renewing their uh, their goal scoring um, uh, you know appointments, uh, you know, and we'll see. Elas Verona team that that has uh, that has surprised um, in in terms of uh, even some even though they haven't been getting the results they always they want, uh, they are a team that has. Uh, has shown that you know uh, they're they're here in Serie A and they have to they'll be fighting and scratching for every single point they can. Uh, you know, let's not forget they were. Uh, my memory serves me right. They were the last uh, team to join, so they they were the winners of the Serie B playoffs. Yeah. Um, so that'll be that's going to be uh, a, a tough one. That means they were they were let's say the least talented you know out of out of the three coming up so it's always going to be a challenge for them napoli uh, napoli's hunger for goals and of course hosting you know being at home uh you know you're you're bound to get um uh, if not a track a thrashing uh, you know uh, napoli will, will will win uh and and do so convincingly i i expect in the next in the next home match, if they're if they're unable to bring home the three points, I think serious questions will be asked of uh, of, of this Napoli side. Uh, I mean, there's no there's no question about it. At that point, we're talking about 
you know, points crisis, uh, especially with Juventus and Inter going at the rate that they've been going at. Right? Napoli, Napoli already lost, um, uh, you know, two two big matches, two matches, one against Juventus, the other one at home against Galleri. You know, now a draw. You know, you're leaving a lot of points behind in the first seven matches of the season, and you and they're yet uh, they're yet to play. Um, a bunch of their of their big ad- adversaries. What's going to happen? You know the major opponents. What's going to happen then? Right. So they're, they're they're I'm expecting I'm expecting Napoli to to pick it up. There there will be Frank. There will be a regression towards the mean. Teams that are overperforming like Cagliari, uh, maybe Atalanta. You will see drop points. You know draw lose right and and come more towards the middle teams that are way underperforming and they're at they're you know way at the bottom you will see them come back up just just by inertia it's just yep. you know, at least this is the way i've been that i've seen in the last 30 years of following uh said yeah yep for sure all right so though that is our uh, outlook here on what we saw over match week seven. Your thoughts, go to at Serie sit down on Twitter or Instagram. Let's wrap it up with the Azzurri call-up. All right, well, uh, we have uh, two games that if uh, Italy win them both, they've uh, assured qualification for Euro 2020. They could win and draw and, you know, Finland can drop some points and they'll still qualify. I'm not going to just go deep diving into the permutations because, I mean, the reality is this. They get Greece in Rome. Who, they won at Greece 3-0 in the, in the reverse fixture, and then they travel to Liechtenstein. This should be um, a six points uh, without even blinking, um, especially with the way that they've been playing. But, uh, Rocco, let's break down uh, the squad that Mancini has assembled uh, for this for this go-around. Uh, goalkeepers, uh, Gianluigi Donnarumma, uh, Pierluigi Gallini, Alex Merritt, and Salvatore Sinigo. Really no surprises there. Nope. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Great uh, great selections to, to choose from. We've always been, we've often been blessed at the goalkeeping position. Yep. Uh, I mean, it's no problem there. Getting into the defenders, uh, Francesco Acerbi, who's having, a, having a, off to a nice start yet again at Lazio. Uh, despite the lack of uh, playing time he's been getting at Inter, Cristiano Baraghi is in the team. I'm fine with that. Leonardo Benucci, uh, Danilo Di Ambrosio, uh, Di Lorenzo from Napoli, good for him. Alessandro, Flore- Alessandro Florenzi, Florenzi, for some reason, continues to get into this team. Um, <laughs> Armando Izzo of Torino, good for him. Um, Gianluca Mancini of Roma. Uh, Alessio Romagnoli of Milan and Leonardo Spinazzola of Roma. Florenzi, I mean, why do we keep doing this? I, I, why not Manuel Azzari? Uh, why not uh, Di Silvestri of Torino? I mean, I, 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 I think the last couple of times, and maybe he's injured, or I know he didn't play yesterday for Torino, but... I think the last couple times when Mancini's had call-ups, he's not called up Di Silvestri, and I'm left to wonder why, because I think that he's at least more qualified than Florenzi. I think Florenzi's at a stage in his career where it's just not working out. Oh, he's he's definitely in a bit of a having having an awful season uh, for club and country, to be honest. Um, you know, his 
his marking has been suspect. He is not a right back naturally. Uh, he's more of a midzala, more of a winger, right? And now he's kind of been naturalized into into an RB. Um, yeah, I, I agree with uh, with your the questions that you're bringing up about Florencia. Remember the last time I came on, um, we bemoaned the fact that Mancini overlooked Di Lorenzi, uh, Di Lorenzo. Uh, sorry, and uh, and in this year and this time he's done uh, he's done good on that. And to be quite honest, I would not be surprised if. Um, he would if he's uh, if he if he he leaps him if he leaps Florenzi. Uh, of course, you know we do we have seen D'Ambrosio play really well for Inter. I must say, I mean goals aside, um, but uh, I was I was I'm quite impressed with with uh, the performance of uh, the Inter player in, at the beginning of uh, of this season. We do have um, you know uh, Biragi get that getting that call up might be. Uh, more, more of kind of like an encouragement, or getting him, giving him the opportunity to, to, to smell the the, the Coverciano air and uh, feel the Coverciano blades of grass. Very happy to see Spinazzola, who, who is super useful both at right or left back. Uh, really, I, I, I absolutely have nothing but good things to say about him. Nice to see him get a, albeit a lucky goal in, but it was you know still counts. Uh, in uh, in the Europa League in the midweek, yep. uh, just really really, you know, I, I'm I'm very confident about, about this Azzurri side that Mancini uh, is assembling the that I think that the cream is finally rising to the to the top. Yep, for sure. Um, moving on to midfield though, Nicolo Barella of Inter, Federico Bernardeschi of Juve. Uh, Brian Cristante of Roma, Jorginho of Chelsea, Stefano Sensi of Inter is listed. However, uh, as we mentioned, he is uh, withdrawn. Um, Marco Verratti of PSG and Nicolo Zaniolo of Roma. Uh, I don't think sen- a replacement has been named for Sensi yet as far as far as I know. But all that aside, I mean, uh, they're going into this Greece game with Jorginho, Verratti and Barella uh, in midfield. I'd be surprised if it's any other uh, midfield trio. Yeah, unless unless he wants to get cute and uh, and call and and, and give Zaniolo uh, a, a chance. Um, you know, Zaniolo's been on the outs. Uh, he was uh, called up by the under twenty one um, last time and uh, was was kind of uh, Mancini put him to the margins after try, after uh, some some behavior minor behavior issues. Uh, but that said, um, yeah, I agree. Uh, Jorginho Verratti and um, Barella should be the starters in in the game against Greece if he's looking to get all three points and and, and secure those. The important thing is, you know, three points or not, or you know, even, even if we do win against Greece and then we have Liechtenstein uh, on uh, the fifteenth of October, we will. Uh, it's always good to keep a good core of players. You know, you don't just like throw your top starting 11 out. You know, the game doesn't matter anymore. We can lose it. Um, yeah, we can play. We can play all of our second stringers. You, you really lose the shape. You lose the identity. You lose that core. It's important to keep that core and sure, make some changes around the edges and then some more changes if you want uh, midweek, mid game, in the middle of the game, in game. Uh, but it's. Uh, I think this is this this is a really good core 
of uh, of old um, and and younger players who are coming up who uh, have given this Italy team tempo and touch uh, and um, um, you know really hopeful for them to clinch qualification so that uh, you know he can uh, Mancini can focus on uh, consolidating the group further uh, in and in, in the, with the view to do really well at the Euro in 2020. Yep. Um, attackers, Andrea Bellotti of Torino, Federico Chiesa of Fiorentina, Stefan El Sharawi for some reason, uh, Vincenzo Grifo of Hoffenheim, Ciro Immobile of Lazio, Lorenzo Insigne of Napoli. Why do we keep doing this with El Sharawi? Uh, I, I, you know, El Sharawi and Grifo are probably point to a bit of dearth uh, that there is in the, in the Italian attacking. Uh, what's wrong with the, what's wrong with Domenico Berardi, who's been outstanding for Sassuolo? Berardi Berardi has been has been doing really really well, uh, and is having a bit of a renaissance. And probably yeah, would would deserve a, a bit of an extra shot. Not sure if if he has if he has health concerns. Um, I, I haven't I didn't watch the last the Sassuolo game, um, but. Uh, uh, Grifo, oh, like for Offenheim, okay. Um, maybe he's getting a lot of playing time, and maybe El Sharawi is doing well. But you know, it, it, it's it's you're right; they're absolute anomalies. And if you look at the types of players that they are, I mean, Chiesa, Chiesa, uh, Bernardeschi could very well fit in into the this lineup here of of strikers because kind of like a winger type player. Um, Chiesa, as, as as is Chiesa, as is Al Sharawi, really. Difo is more like a trequartista, so he, he's probably more fits into that that odd mold, right? Doesn't fit into a mold. He, he's he's his own his own thing. Um, Insigne out wide to the left, and you know, cutting in short. Immobile, Belotti. Like we we don't have other than maybe Belotti, we don't have that. Ariete that I mentioned before. We don't have that goat. We don't have that big, strong type of type of striker, or or even anyone who's you know overtly you know physical and big. You know what I mean? There, we we just don't have that powerhouse kind of striker. I think we're sure. we're missing that, and and you know, um, I think that they needs a ton of playing time and success before we see him here. As does Balotelli, who. You know, uh, Mancini said, you know, if he scores 25 goals and uh, gets you know, all kinds of assists, and uh, then for sure I'll call him to the national team. I think I think it, he was trying to encourage him, uh, even though I don't think that's how it was received. Uh, sure. Those those we have we do have some talent back there, but it's just it's 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 a long time coming, and it needs it needs to that that skill still needs to come out. For sure. Um, I'll just I'll I'll just have some fun with this and pick a pick an eleven that'll play Greece. Four three three, of course. I'll, I'll go with Donnarumma in goal. Um, you know, Mancini has had the habit of taking a center back and playing him over to the right. Um, you know, but I you know I'm not sure he'll do it this game. I you know it'll be. I kind of want to kind of want to do what he's doing and just say let's put Armando Itzo there. So I'll just do that, and then I think it's going to be uh, a center back pairing of Bonucci and Romagnoli uh, with um, Spinazzola on the left. 
the midfield, as I mentioned, Jorginho, uh, Berella, and Verratti. And then uh, in attack, um, I think it should be Andrea Belotti, but because of goal scoring, and he's been in pretty good goal scoring form, but because Immobile is in such goal scoring form, he might get the nod as the striker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he'll be flanked by Chiesa and Bernadeschi. Um, you know, I, I, I see that maybe being the most. And if it's not Bernadeschi, it's going to be Insigne. Uh, yeah. So that's where that's what I'm looking at here as far as, uh, you know, the starting 11. And then when they play Liechtenstein, I, I could see eight changes uh, mm-hmm. to the team that played Greece. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. because they're going to look at Liechtenstein and say, you know, realistically – out of this pool of players, Mancini could pick any 11 he wants and they should be able to come away with three points. And I don't think it's not going to be something where he's going to have a desire to go out and beat Liechtenstein six nil. If that happens, that happens. Fantastic. But he's going to want to give players some senior team experience, uh, knowing that he's going to probably be able to win regardless of who he can put out there. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I generally agree. Um, Donnarumma. Yeah. I would change, uh, your right back selection with D'Ambrosio. Well, that's, um, I, I think it, you know, and D'Ambrosio makes a lot of sense too, but I've seen him, like I said, I've seen him. He's, he's played Itzo there. He's played Mancini there. Um, mm. You know, it's, it's just something that he's done a couple of times in certain games. He may, he may go with more of a fullback, you know, on the right side, but that, yeah. that is something that he's done with his, with his, with his starting mm-hmm. 11s that I've noticed. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if he does it again. Bonucci Romagnoli, yes. I would say Spinazzola on the left. Uh, I agree with your midfield. And up top, I would say uh, Chiesa, Immobile, and, and Insigne. I think uh, Bernardeschi is a little bit lost right now, even though he is getting. He did play uh, two games in a row at Juve, but uh, I, I just I just don't see it. Uh, he'll play. He'll get some playing time, and he'll he might do the the Liechtenstein game, uh, but uh, I would see him. I see him more coming on as a sub in the game against Greece, uh, and uh, for sure the game against Liechtenstein. We'll see a lot of changes, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised to get to see some Grifo time as well as uh, maybe as a sub for that one as well. Sure. Sure. So those are the uh, that's the Italy eleven that we think is going to happen against Greece. Your thoughts? Go to at Syria Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram. And uh, with that, we're putting a bow on this edition of Syria Sit Down. A very very busy week here um, uh, regarding Calcio on the peninsula. Uh, Rocco, um, you made a shameless plug earlier. Anything else that uh, you want to promote here for our listeners? <laughs> no, just thank you very much for uh, giving me this opportunity. Your listeners do who who don't know me know should know that they can follow me on Twitter at Catenacho Na, as in not applicable. Right at the end of that, uh, name Rocco Fazano. So you can look either one of those up, and and I should pop up. Thanks again, guys, for the chance to uh, get my uh, fifth or sixth cap with uh, Seria Sit Down. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, we'll count. We'll go back and count so that we know for next time. <laughs> so, uh, Richard is at R underscore Carmen, K H A R M A N. I'm at FTC underscore 21. You go to at Syria, sit down on Twitter or Instagram. Um, any comments, uh, questions, uh, topics you want us to cover, definitely go there. Uh, we have our own channel on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us on Spotify, just about anywhere uh, podcasts are found. 
Um, we have our own YouTube channel as well. Syria, sit down, check us out there. Um, and then World Football Index, www.worldfootballi.com. I believe that's what it is. Uh, I'm sure one of the uh, chiefs there will uh, correct me on that one. Um, there's uh, plenty of other content. Uh, you know, name a league, they're probably covering it. Uh, so uh, definitely give uh, that a look and uh, peruse through that. And um, uh, we will be back, uh, I believe, next week uh, to uh, recap uh, what went down for Italy against Greece and what to look forward to against Liechtenstein. Otherwise, uh, Rocco, once again, as always, it's been a pleasure talking with you. And, uh, you know, thank you for uh, helping do some of the heavy lifting in Richard's absence. Oh, my, my pleasure. I know I had huge shoes to fill, so I hope uh, I behaved so well that I made it get another call up by, by the uh, technical directors, uh, Frank and Richard. <laughs> you got it. You got it. We will get you on again soon. Uh, right. So, um, you know, for Rocco, I'm Frank, and for Richard, I'm Frank. Richard, get well. Thank you for listening, and as always, be sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao.